Now, last week, we got our blessed update from Elam, and so that was a wonderful gift. But then two weeks ago, and keep praying for the Iranian church and what's going on with Afghans there, we finished John chapter 5. Congratulations. Uh, And at the end of that, we got to see Jesus finishing that confrontation with the religious leaders coming to him. And we saw in that that he gave them, appeased them with what would be culturally what would go on there by saying, okay, I'll I'll give you the witnesses you want. And he gave the five witnesses. He reminded them of John the Baptist. He reminded them of the works that he has been able to do. He reminded them about God the Father. He reminded them about the scriptures. And he reminded them about Moses. Within each of those witnesses, we saw the heart flow that was there, and we saw how each one points unashamedly to one alone, Jesus Christ, God the Son. So he's still proving his point with those, and the charge check-in from that, one, how's your witness, yourself, to be found guilty as a bondservant of God? Because we were looking at that, and we saw how he had these witnesses that would be faithful and true. Who's on your list? that can speak to how you are as a bondservant of God. That makes you check, how am I when I'm not just sitting in these comfy maroon chairs? How am I beyond the walls of this church? Two, we were asked to ponder, how do you approach the word of God? Do you approach the word of God as the main source in your life or is it supplemental? Do you approach the word of God that when you open it, you open it with childlike innocence? Lord, show me, teach me, as we saw from that testimony of that former Mormon where that preacher told him, just read the word in childhood innocence and say, teach me. Or do you go to the word with whatever agenda you have for that day, whatever you're trying to prove? And three, are you willing? Where is there unwillingness to Jesus being enough in your life? Is it truly all about you Or is it that bit where, you know, you want to serve, you want to call, but it's got to be your way. I want this, I want that, I want this. Or is it whatever the master king says? Do you hold your hands open? Father, what wilt thou have me do? Whatever you call me to do, Lord, I'm going to do. Or is it that you're unwilling because it's got to be this way. I want it like this or I want that. We have to search our hearts on all that. Now today we're journeying onward in John chapter 6 with a message entitled, Are You Full? Now, ladies, at the woman's retreat, you had your wonderful theme by Mahani Boo Boo, um, and uh, she gave a devotional teaching on this idea of wonder and awe and being full, and what, what are we full with? So for ladies, we're going to dig a little deeper, and we're going to go deeper into this idea of fullness that's applicable to every single one of us. Now, when we think about culture, brothers and sisters, we got to remember today's culture really seeks to fill us with so much. We've got social media, we've got work, we've got chores, we've got projects, we've got teams that we're a part of, we've got clubs, we've got athletics, we've got all these different things that we must do. And I put it in air quotes, because it is that little, sometimes those things that fill us, we make it seem like I've got to do this and I've got to do that. Maybe sometimes you don't. Sometimes we're filling ourselves with so much knowledge about the Word of God that we forget to fill ourselves with the actual Word of God. That's another piece that happens. And in the hustle and bustle of the Christmas season that we're in, we can fill ourselves with, okay, Johnny wanted that, get that card to Susie, so-and-so wants this, so-and-so wants that. And lately, as I think about that, I picture little baby Jesus, I picture in a manger, and we're so busy, the baby's just forgotten. The baby's just left there because we're so busy about everything else that has to be done. 
So before we delve into the word of God this morning, a pre-thought I have for us to ponder, what fills you? What fills you? What fills your priorities? If you think about that right now, what fills your schedule? What fills your free time? What fills your thoughts? What fills your mind? What fills your prayers? What fills you? This morning, are you even filled? Or are you empty? Why are you empty? What seems daunting in your life right now? What seems impossible? What seems hopeless? Where's your heart this morning? I think it's important that before we just jump in as we always do to the word of God, where's your heart this morning? Take a moment, really think about that. Where's your heart this morning? Are you on rote repetition? Is your heart just in stock? Is, is just doing what it always does? Is your heart open this morning? Is your heart closed? Is your heart broken? Is your heart rigid and stuck in your ways? Where's your heart this morning? So let's take a moment and go before the Lord in prayer and Think about that question. Heavenly Father, I just pray that you allow us to do that, Lord. Allow us to search our hearts before we come into your word, Lord God. Your word is living, powerful. It's a two-edged sword, Lord. It discerns the intents and thoughts of our heart, Heavenly Father. Yet, Lord, far too often we delve into your word without searching our hearts, Lord, without knowing the condition we're in before we come to you, Lord. And Heavenly Father, I just would ask that as we prepare to go into the text today, Lord, help our hearts to be open. Help our hearts to seek to be filled by you alone, Lord. Please. In Jesus' precious name, amen. So when we look at John 6, in these 14 verses, we're going to see a few things. We're going to see Jesus test faith and man's heart response when faith is tested. And we're going to see responses that we can really relate to when faith is being tested. We're going to see Jesus meet the impossible. And in meeting the impossible, we're going to see the character and nature of our Lord further revealed. And we're also going to see in this, as we remember to always take scripture in context, Jesus laying the foundation for the first I am that we're going to encounter in the gospel of John. I am the bread of life. And in this passage, we're also going to be reminded of a phrase we need to think of, and it's I think of Psalm 22 that we just studied this Wednesday where we were looking at the but you, but you, but you, O Lord. And that phrase we need to remember, but you, O Lord. This looks impossible, God, but with you, O Lord, and faith in you, I can do this. So turn with me, stand, and let's read John 6, verses 1 to 14. We read. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Then a great multitude followed him because they saw his signs, which he performed on those who were diseased. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, 
he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish. But where are they? But what are they among so many? Then Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number, about 5,000, and Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given them thanks, he distributed them to the disciples, and the disciples to those sitting down, and likewise of the fish, as much as they wanted. So when they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. Therefore, they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the signs that Jesus did, said, This is truly the prophet who has come into the world. Lord, thank you for your word. Father God, may your Holy Spirit empower, enable me to deliver the words that are needed for your people. Help the words that come out be only and exactly what are needed for each and every single person in this room and listening, Heavenly Father. Lord God, I just pray that you are able to penetrate the heart, minds, and souls of every single person here, Lord, that we are all better equipped after this to love you, our God, with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Be seated. So we see here, right in verse 6, after these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. So we see after these things. Now this is literary, time has passed. That's what that phrase is saying. It's saying time has gone on. We were in chapter 5. We were in Jerusalem. Now we're up north. So what happened beforehand? Take a gander. What happened beforehand? We've got, and we'll pop it up there, some Verses where you're going to be able to see, and if you're curious, that's going through the other Gospels, lining it up, what takes place before where we are right now. Within that, you have the B attitudes. Remember, B attitudes, the way we need to be. We have the parables, many parables of faith. John the Baptist is beheaded. All of that takes place before where we currently are landing. So when we see that after these things, these are all the things that take place in between that. That's that gap of time. Exact amount of time that passes, we don't fully know, but that gives you an idea of that. Now we're going to look at the map of this region to just get us familiar again with where we are. So we see Jerusalem there on the bottom. I've got it highlighted, and we're going to know in this, we're landing right now up, and we're by Bethsaida, and we get that context when you look at the other Gospels, because when you look at Luke chapter 9, you see that referenced, and in our Um, gospel that we're studying, verses 16 and 17 speak of traveling to Capernaum. So we know that they're going to go over. So that gives us the location where we are. Now, the body of water that we're looking at right now, uh, go back to that one. Sorry, stay on the map. We're staying on the map. Go back to the map. There we go. I'll let us know we're going to go to the next one. Thank you. So the, the body of water that we're looking at is We see it referred to here, Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Now, there's a few interesting things to note about that. It's fed and flowed from the Jordan River coming up north. If you think of Mount Hermon up there, it's coming down into that body of water. It's hills and mountains on the sides. On the west, you're going to have an elevation of about 2,000 feet. On the east, you're going to have an elevation of about 4,000 feet. In the Old Testament, this body of water comes up in a few passages as the Sea of Corinth 
Um, and we see it in Numbers, we see it in Joshua, and we see that it means in Hebrew, harp. And that's alluding to kind of the shape. I've got a bunch of markings on there, but the shape of that body of water, which is 650 feet below sea level, 13 miles long, six miles wide. Gennesaret is one of the names that the Jewish people would call it. Then it's referred to as the Sea of Galilee. And we land on the Sea of Tiberias because with Herod Antipas, he has it named after the Roman emperor Tiberius. And that's probably somewhere around AD 20 to AD 26. So this lands us the region where we are. And I just think it's cool to kind of look and see where he's going, what, what landscape we're looking at. Now with that, what does that land actually look like? Now we go to the next one. Boom. That's a portrait of what the land looks like. And we'll see that reference to all the grass that we see. And if you look, you can see all of that grass and that grasslands within there. Now, what we're facing, next one, is that. That's a crowd. Now, the, can you tell that's a crowd of people? Now, the crowd that we're looking at, in the text that we're looking, we see 5,000 mentioned. But the reality is that's only factoring men. So there's also women, there's also children. Most say it's at least 10,000. Most scholars land that it was probably around 20,000 people. So we got that many people. Look at the next one. This is 20,000. This is a snapshot of a group that's not all 20,000. So we've got that many people. And the resources we have is this little boy with that. So we've got all those people and that little boy with just two fish and five loaves, and then go to the next one. So that's the reality of what we're facing. And if you think about that picture that we saw of that crowd, can that feed the picture of the crowd? That's what we're facing right now. And that's where we get to the how. How is this possible? How does this get done? So that's the, the setup of where we are. And then we go on to verse 2 now. And that how, I want to remind us, is tied to that but you, O Lord. It's with God. So now verse 2. Then a great multitude followed him because they saw his signs which he performed on those who were diseased. And Jesus went up on the mountain and there he sat with his disciples. And that mountain, after seeing the picture, more like hills, but it's still a good, good stroll. Now verse 2, we see, then a great multitude followed him. So there's a hefty amount of people coming and following after him. And what are they drawn to? Because they saw the signs he'd performed on those who were diseased. And we see again this drawing to the signs that are taking place, the wonders that are taking place. And little do they know, he's going to meet the physical need. Jesus does that. But as we see later on in this chapter, it's that powerful spiritual need that is the ultimate, the bread of life. And he's setting that foundation with where we are. Now, if you want to get the full picture of this account, the verses that you want to take a gander at, if you think about looking in youth group, you probably remember when we did Mark, you can put up the one full picture. There, we would always show the different verses that would come up so that it lines up and we'd walk through all of the different gospels. So it's going to be Matthew 14, Mark 6, and Luke 9, if you want to do your own dive, community groups, maybe that's something you do after this, do the whole dive so you can look at all of the different accounts of what we're looking at right now. Because when you do that, whenever we're in a spot in the gospel, what you end up giving yourself is the gift of having the full picture 
of all the details. And this particular one, this particular miracle is in all four Gospels because it's an important one. It's a big one that he wants to make sure we all get it because, again, it leads up to such a powerful I am, the bread of life. And that's something that we want to remember and go back to. Now, we see here, Jesus, verse 3, went up on the mountain and there he sat with his disciples. Now, despite the fact that he has this crowd coming, they're all wanting what's, what's going. He's up there and we see in the other passages where he's taking that moment to be with the disciples. He ends up teaching all that comes. But there's a heart of service we see in our Savior within that. Because I think of ourselves as humans, if we're having a multitude of people and we've been pouring ourselves out and now we're trying to get a little rest and a multitude comes, that's when we say, why are these people all coming? Leave me alone. I need my rest. But that's not our Savior. He trusts. He obeys. And it's that model and portrait for us. Then we get to verse 4. Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. So when we look at this, we see the Passover only in the Gospel of John do we get told that the Passover is coming at hand. And we see again, as we talked about with the Gospel of John, he's always giving us extra information for those non-Jews that would be reading this Gospel. Because he puts again that reminder, a feast of the Jews. So that they, all who would read, and we know uh, in this Gospel, chapter 20, verse 30, it's all about people believing in Jesus. So there's folks on the pilgrimage, and if you think about what we saw on the map, they're traveling south to Jerusalem. They would know of Jesus. They would know of everything that he's been doing. And guess what? They'd want to see him. They'd want to experience it. Now, talking again about that servant's heart with the multitude following him, let's look at Luke chapter 9. And we're not going to look at the whole account, but just the beginning of how it comes up in Luke chapter 9. And the apostles... When they had returned, told him all that they had done. Then, and this is after he had sent them out, then he took them and went aside privately into a deserted place belonging to the city called Bethsaida, which is why we had that part on the map. But when the multitude knew it, they followed him. They knew where he was going. We're going to keep following him. And he received them. Bam. Think of that. See what was before. He was taking them aside. Deserted place. We're going to get away. We're going to have a private moment. Nope, they're going to keep coming. And it's an opportunity he's modeling and teaching his disciples in everything he does and modeling and teaching us. Because at times, in whatever the Lord calls us to do, it can feel heavy at times. But it's that moment to lean on him and continue what he does. He received them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who had need of healing. When the day began to wear away, the twelve came and said to him, Send the multitude away that they may go into the surrounding towns and country and lodge and get provisions, for we are in a deserted place. But he said to them, you give them something to eat. Now, when we look at what we see in this account with Luke, he meets them, he teaches them, he does healings, he serves them, he provides for them. And that's all pointing to his deity. Because remember, everything he's doing is pointing to who he is, God the Son. Now, when we look at this in the Gospel of John, we're not going to see that part where they say, send them away. There's too many of them. We can't take care of them. But that's one response that's given. And if we think about that, that can be one response sometimes when something that seems impossible comes to us or someone comes that may need something and it's just get rid of them. Just toss them to the curb. Go away. I don't have time for that. I can't do that. 
So that's one response that we too can have. Now we look at what we get in our text where we're looking on this account. Verse 5. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. So in our account, we see that he turns to Philip. And now we're getting then in verse 6, the commentary on this, because he's doing it. Jesus is testing Philip. So that bodes the question, does God ever test us? Answer? Yes. Okay, good, good. We passed the test. Good job. Let's look at James chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Turn to 1 Thessalonians 2, and we'll just put them up there. 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 4. And this is where Paul's talking of his genuineness. Paul knows of the testing of the heart. But... As we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. And remember also for us with the whole word of God, the word of God tests us. Hebrews 4.12 discerns the intents and the thoughts. It's testing us at the same time. Then turn uh, or put up 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. In this you greatly rejoice, Though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In this, he lays, Peter, the, the salvation and then is going into living a saved life, living as a believer. And guess what? There's going to be trials. There's going to have our faith tested. And it's not... Don't think, okay, my faith is being tested so I can prove to God how good I am. No, you're actually learning for yourself where you're ignorant in the amount of faith that you have and the kind of faith that you have. Because in that testing, as he's refining and looking at it, we're going to see how sincere is my faith? How true is my faith? What's the strength of my faith in my Messiah? And it's going to be purified, burning away the dross. That's what happens there. So now as we go back to our text, that's what he's doing in this moment. And here, Philip, he says, do the impossible. There's about 10,000 people. As I said, scholars really lean towards 20,000 women and kids. And he's saying, Philip, do the impossible. How are we going to feed these guys? Where are we going to get what we need for them? Now the question for us, I ask you, how do you respond when God asks you to do the impossible? How do you respond when God lays on your heart to do the impossible? Are you filled with doubt? Are you filled with fear? What are you filled with? And what faith do you have in that? When an impossible circumstance lies before you, what are you filled with? Now we're going to see Philip's answer, verse 7. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may have a little. So that 200 denarii, one is a, what you would get for a day's wages in that time. So we're talking about 200 days of wages. He's like, even if we have 200 days of wages, with the amount that we have here, looking at this crowd, they can't even get a snack. They can't even get a bite. It's not going to work. So Philip 
Answers as I think a lot of us do, and I can be guilty of this. He looks at the circumstance. He looks at the cost. He looks at the logic. He looks at the understanding. God asks him, and God asks us at times, and what do we do? We start calculating. Okay, let me figure out how is this going to work. Let me crunch the numbers. What is this going to look like? And in this answer, can anybody relate to that, by the way? I saw some heads starting to go, yep, yep, that's me. And in this answer, Philip is filled with logic and understanding. And I'm going to tell you something. Philip's correct. He's accurate in his statement. He's 100% right in his statement. And there's a really good nugget in that for us. Just because something's right by logic and reason doesn't mean it's right by God's way. And we've got to learn that. We've got to remember that. We've got to understand that. This is an impossible situation. But he's presenting logic. And this also then gives us a lesson. When you're in that impossible situation, who are you seeking counsel from? Because if you go to that unbeliever who doesn't factor in God, and God's not getting factored in by Philip's answer, they could give you really good advice. And it's, it's logical. That's so right. You're right. Yes. I don't have, yeah, I don't have the skill set to do that. You're so right. Why am I even thinking of doing that? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Where's God? But you, oh Lord, where's God in that? Understanding, there's a little passage that talks about understanding. Proverbs 3, verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Boom. That's the PD boom and bam. I still love those. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Heart fully his. Heart checking on him. Then we go on. In all your ways, what do you do? Acknowledge him. And as you acknowledge him in all ways, what does he do? Direct your paths. Now, as he's doing that, do you then puff up? I know so much about the Lord. Let me tell you, I've read this. I've done that. I know this theologian. I know this show. I know this, this. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Humility. And then the next step, which often gets left off when we look at this, this was a youth group cliche verse we did where I said, find me the Christian t-shirt that has the end of this. They always leave off this last bit. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. Fearing the Lord, reverent awe, and that fear, that loving heart, then realizes who he is. I have reverence towards my God. I am not going to do those evil things. So that's what we have to remember when that impossible comes. We can't just go on our own understanding. Now, I want to be clear. I'm not saying not to use your brain. Clearly, use it. God gave it to you. But Philip, in his answer, he's leaving out God. He's just looking at the circumstance and what's there and leaves out God. And that's like a believer saying, I don't need to pray about everything in my life. Really? You're leaving out God. Yes, he gives us a brain, but he wants us to commune with him. He wants us to be in prayer. He says, pray without ceasing. How's your prayer life? How is your prayer life? We need to continue to always put all things before our Heavenly Father and our King. So the first faith test doesn't get an A+. Okay, it might be one of those where it's like a C over D. I don't know if you have any of those teachers that used to do the slash grades. I never understood them. (laughs) Now, we go on. Verse 8. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, 
But what are they among so many? So now we have an unexpected vessel in this little boy. And then we see five barley loaves. Barley was common. That was the, the grain that the poor people would have. And for the elite, they would have whole wheat, not our modern sugar whole wheat, but real whole wheat is what they would have. And two small fish. That's it. And then we see Andrew. Think about him. We saw him in the beginning of this gospel. He brings people to Jesus. Remember in the chapter 1, what did he do? Right away, he gets saved. He gets his brother, come, come and see. And then in this moment, again, he's bringing someone before Jesus, but he's already decided, what are they among so many? He's already decided, well, Philip, you're right. There's the cost. There's the logic. There's the reason. But now we see another answer in Andrew, inadequate resources. What we have can't cut it. What I know, the skill set I have, that can't cut it for what you're asking me to do, God. That's that answer that we see there. That's that answer. And Jesus, in this moment, we already know. We just read all the passages. He's going to do this. He's going to provide. And we know in this moment, he's putting this before them to test their faith. And if we think and go a little bit deeper with the whole context of this, what ultimately feeds a hungry person the most? What have we seen before in this? Jesus says his food is to do the will of his Father. What ultimately feeds is doing God's work. What ultimately feeds is Jesus. And this is again laying that foundation for him to say he is the bread of life. Now we're going to skip a little. Look at verse 14 of our text. Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, this is truly the prophet who has come into the world. Now we can't just read that He's truly the prophet who's come into the world and say, wow, that's really cool. That's true. He's Jesus. Amen. Dig a little bit deeper. This is why we need to know the Old Testament. Men, we talked about this. We must be students of the Old Testament too. Turn to Deuteronomy, verse 18. And I'll just let it pop up for me. Deuteronomy, verse 18. We read, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brethren and will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And before that, Deuteronomy 18, 15, we read, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren, him you shall hear. Now in this moment, they're just provided, at the end of this, the bread, the fish, all of this is provided. And if we think about who we're pointing to, Moses, when we're looking at Deuteronomy, Moses is saying this, This is almost an allusion to that same being in the wilderness. Because where they are, they're in a deserted place. We saw that in Luke. It's a deserted place. So now they're in this deserted place where Jesus was meaning to meet with the disciples, and they all come. What did we see in Luke 9? How are we going to feed them? We're in the middle of nowhere. Get rid of them so they can get fed. In the wilderness, what happened? The manna from heaven. And here, what happens? The bread is provided. So when they see and they're calling him this prophet... They're looking and thinking of Jesus as what they saw with Moses. And this is where it goes with a little bit of that political motive they have. And we see that when we do verse 15, which we're not hitting today. They want to take him to make him king. And he's like, blah, 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 we're going. No way. That's not what we're doing. So we look at that and we can even see further parallels. So if we read verse 5 of our text, then Jesus lifted up his eyes and seeing a great multitude coming toward him and said to Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? Numbers 11, 13. Thinking about that same time. Where am I to get meat 
to give to all these people. For they weep all over me, saying, give us meat that we may eat. They're hungry. Where are we going to get it? That if we think of what we just saw with Philip's answer and Andrew's answer, we don't have the adequate things. How are we going to do this? Numbers 11, 22. This is after the Lord has said, yeah, go feed them. And it's, shall flocks and herds be slaughtered for them to provide enough for them? Or shall all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them to provide enough for them? Our resources are inadequate. How are we going to do this? In this moment, remember, they would know this. They would know of Moses. That's why they're calling him the prophet. Training ground for those disciples. It's a training ground for them to be able to see. And it's a reminder for us also of his deity and the miracle that he does. But also, what do we do when we're facing the impossible? Because in both cases, it's an impossible feat that needs to be done. What do we do? We've got to remember Jesus. Speak the name. We sang that song today. Jesus. But far too often, we forget that. Look at these two guys, Philip, Andrew. They forget Jesus. They could have, when, when he says to them, okay, Philip, how are we going to get this for them? You say, I don't know. But you, Lord, you do know. Look at what all these other things you did. How are we going to do this? And they're with him 24-7 and forget. So don't be shocked that when you're facing the impossible, when a trial or a hard circumstance comes, don't be shocked if your default leaves out God. Now, we don't want that. We want to train ourselves to not do that, but don't be surprised. So now we have to see how does Jesus then handle what they say is limited? Because they've cut it off. How does he handle this? Verse 10. Then Jesus said, make the people sit down. Now in that we see there's no worry. There's no panic from our king. It's not one of those things where they've presented these two things and he's like, oh my goodness, I didn't think of that, guys. You're right. We don't have adequate resources. We don't have this right thing. What are we going to do? How are we going to do this? Let's go through each of you. Does anybody have an answer? No. Make the people sit down. And in that also, it's a little reminder, we serve a God of order. It's not like he's about to do this and just, they're probably standing, maybe some of the kids are running around, it's a little free-for-all. No, make the people sit down. Now, there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, and in number, about 5,000. So we see this, and there's that reminder to us, because before God provides, before Jesus provides in this moment, they sit. It's a good application for us to remember. Sit before the Lord. Are you in obedience? Are you in humility? Are you in surrender? Or are you just standing, Lord, work it, do it, do it, Lord? No. <laughs> sit before him. They come before and they sit. And they're waiting. Now as we're sitting, question for you, are you filled? What are you filled with in the sitting? Because are you one of those people that can sit and can obey the Lord? Or the Lord says, wait, in the midst of that trial, says, just hang on a moment, just wait. Are you like, okay, Lord, I'll wait. And then you run and plan and do all your other things. Who can I call? How can I do this? And verse 11, and Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples and the disciples to those sitting down. Now we see here, Jesus takes the loaves, and he gives Thanks. This is Jesus. This is the God of creation. He could have just taken it, and it could have been a really cool thing, and all the Hollywood directors would have loved it if he just took it and tossed it all out, and it's like, everybody gets fish and loaves. But no, in this moment, he stops and he gives thanks. 
Saints, do you stop and say thank you for what the Lord's provided for you? Or do you run ahead? Jesus says thank you. Think of that picture we had of that basket with just five loaves, two fish. He holds it up and he gives thanks. Often when God has provided even a little, we're so quick to just run on with what we want or what we think is needed and we forget to thank the Lord because we're too focused on I want, I think, I want, I, 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 that we forget to say you, Lord, thank you. And notice it's giving thanks for a little bit and that little bit surrendered with thanksgiving unto the God of creation becomes much. When the impossible is facing you, do you take the little that you have? It's the Lord's calling you to do something that seems so impossible. Do you take the little skills that you do have? Lord, I don't know how I'm going to do this. I don't think I'm smart enough. I, 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 I can't really do X, Y, or Z. But Lord, thank you that I can do dot, dot, dot. Do you take that little bit to him with thanksgiving or not? And then we see what he does next. And the disciples to those sitting down. So he then calls the disciples into the work. He's given thanks for that little bit. He's given thanksgiving. When we're in that impossible situation, give thanks for whatever you have. It seems impossible for me to get out of bed from this illness. Give thanks for the breath that you still have in your body. There's ways to still give thanks. And then what happens? And likewise of the fish, as much as they wanted. So we see here God has compassion. We see that he meets their need. And then what does he do? He exceeds the expectations. Because he's not just saying, here's a little bit. He exceeds the expectations. He goes farther than one could imagine. So when they are filled... His, uh, he said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. Let's not waste anything God has provided. So question to you, saints. How do you steward what God's given you? Because in our culture, if you think about it, we're always thinking about the next best thing. iPhone users think about when they're going to get rid of their iPhone and get a Samsung. But me, a Samsung user, I think about when am I going to, when, when's that next new phone coming out? Wow, when's it going to work? When, when's that next one going to come out? We're sparring here. But, the, re, but, but the, the reality of this is we can't get lost in that. Saints, learn contentedness with what the Lord's given you. Learn contentedness with the home that you have. Learn contentedness with whatever the Lord's provided, with whatever skills he's given you. Be content with that. And put it with thanksgiving in his hands. Now, I want to be clear. This isn't then saying, and see what God will do. You're going to have a brand new this. And no, we're not going prosperity here. I want to be clear. Because this verse gets missed. This story gets misused so much. It gets misused so much because we're not taking it in context, folks. Because yes, he's feeding all these people. But when we go on, he's the bread of life. It's about the filling of Jesus Christ in us. It's about Jesus being enough and the abundant power from his Holy Spirit to do whatever he calls us to do. That's what we're talking about here. And he will fill, fill, fill. It's a, the song I love, light a fire. Lord, fill me up. Set a fire in me. Fill me up. The filling from our king. 
So we go on now. Verse 13. Therefore they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves which were left over by those who had eaten. So they do that. They steward it all. They fill it up. And guess what? There's, there's leftovers for if somebody needs a little snack or gets hungry. Guess what? When we fill ourselves up with the Lord, when we fill ourselves up with the word of God, you might fill, 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 and maybe in that moment there's only a few verses you're applying, but the Holy Spirit promises to bring to remembrance what you need. And it could be two weeks, days, years later, and you find yourself saying this passage of Scripture perfectly, and you're just like, wow, I don't even remember reading that lately, and you're speaking it to this person, bam, that excess was used. Now we look here, saints, they again in verse 14, then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, this is truly the prophet who's come into the world. They're looking, saying, this is the king. This is it. Moses out of Egypt, him, we're going to take Rome down. We got this. That's not the case. And we see in verse 15, when we look at that next time after uh, our Christmas service, Jesus even, nope, not going there. And he moves on. But for us, We have the whole word of God. And we know, saints, that Jesus, yes, he is that prophet they're talking about there. He's the king. He's the bread of life. So the question for you this morning, are you filled? As trials come, as impossible circumstances come, as what seems impossible to you comes, are you filled? And what I'm wondering, are we filled with? Are you filled with faith in Jesus? Are you filled with faith in the power of the Holy Spirit? Are you filled with prayer, fervent prayer, and the power of prayer? God is sovereign. He's going to do what he needs to do, but he wants us to be filled with him on the journey of sanctification. So when that trial comes, when that test comes, and you want to say it's impossible, that's where we stop and say, this is impossible, but you, O Lord, with you, I can do this. Now, again, we can put limits, we can try to logic it, we can look at the circumstance, we can say there's inadequate resources, we can say, no way, God, there's no way that could happen. The next time you want to say, there's no way, I have a question for you. Are you God? I have that real question for you. Because it boggles my mind, the number of people who call themselves believers, and then will say, bold-faced, there's no way that's going to happen. That's never going to change. Are you God? Do you know that for a fact? Are you you the sovereign king of the world? No. So before you say no way, say Yahweh. Switch that. I just thought of that. Thanks, Lord. That's kind of good. Um, But truly, truly, Yahweh. It's the personal covenant name. That wasn't on my post-it. It's the personal covenant name. But go there and remember who's in control. And remember, we're not God. Don't limit him. Don't logic him. Have faith. Be filled. It can seem impossible by every other circumstance, but guess what? You could sit and say, you're telling me that a person, a little teenage girl who never had sex is going to suddenly have a baby. That baby is going to be the king of the world. What are you talking about? That's impossible. That's our gospel. That's our savior. The circumstance he entered, God veiled in the flesh, seems impossible. That's our God. Only God knows, saints, where you are this morning. Only he knows where your heart is. Only he knows what you're going through. But my question to you, are you filled? 
One, charge. Are you filled with his word? Are you filled with his spirit? Are you filled with his way? His word, his spirit, his way. If you look on the back wall, this is something we look at all the time on worship team. And I've always seen his word, his spirit, what he did on the cross, and his way. Hands folded in humility and submission and prayer to God. Are you filled with that or not? Two, what is God asking or what has God asked you to do? And you've looked at the circumstances, you've looked at the resources, you've looked at the skills you've had, and you place a limit rather than saying, Lord, with you I can move forward and do this. Where is that? And three, how can we pray for you? And who can you pray for? Because I think we come together too much and forget the gift of prayer. Acts 2.42, we're called to do it when we come together. And we have people in the body of Christ who, in the, and I'm, when I say body of Christ, I'm talking larger church, who will say, oh, I'm good, I don't need prayer. Again, I say, are you God? <laughs> no. Everybody needs prayer. I don't like praying out loud. Okay, well, let somebody pray for you and ask the Holy Spirit to give you the ability to pray. Because I personally think we all have moments to go before the Lord. And the Lord will give you a family member that you can pray with. But he gives us this gift that is powerful prayer. And we do this with it. Not doing it. We've got to stop. We've got to pray for one another. We've got to pray with each other. We've got to pray with our husbands and wives. We've got to pray with our kids. Saints, the, the world, it's in a full-out attack against all things we in this room stand for. And we expect children to believe in the Lord, but we don't model living for the Lord. How do you think that's going to happen? You wonder why things are going south. You have to model it. And husbands, we have to have the humility at times to discern, make sure that we're leading, but sometimes we've got to humble ourselves. And when your wife is saying, hey, can we get in the Bible? Do it. Do it. Because we can get busy with the hustle and bustle. Guilty as charged. And my lovely bride last night reminded, babe, let's, let's, let's make sure we do our family worship time tonight. I was not even thinking of that because my brain was going too quickly. Thank you, baby. And let's do that. It's with a three-year-old. He's running around the room. What do you do? Still got to get them to learn this. That's our job. And today, when we're here, what's impossible before you? What circumstance are you going through? What do you know someone else in this body is going for? Who can you pray for? Who can you pray with? Every Sunday, we have prayer counselors up here. I'm going to encourage us today, seek prayer if you need it. I'm going to encourage you, before we go enjoy the good coffee and the good snacks, yum, yum, pray with one another. Take a moment to just be in the sanctuary together, and who do you need to pray for? Before you just go out, take a moment, pray with the family members that you're here with today. What can you give thanks to God? What needs prayer? What's impossible that you need to remember with you, Lord? I can keep moving forward. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, Father, we thank you so much for your word. Lord, we thank you for the reminder of who you are 
in your word. Lord, seeing this miraculous feeding that you do, Lord, leading to you saying you're the bread of life, just paints such a picture of how you want to fill us, Lord, with you to abundance. Lord, I pray we sang this morning about strongholds, Lord, and I think that there can be so many strongholds and the biggest one, pride, fear, insecurity. Lord, I pray that you help those walls to come down, that we be who you need us to be, Lord, that we humble ourselves to say, can you pray for me? Lord, I pray for the families of this church. Lord, I pray that we keep Jesus at the center of our homes, Lord. I pray that you bring just hunger like no one's ever had before, Lord, for your word, for praying together, for worshiping you. You're our king. There's no excuse, Lord. Help us, Father God, to dig deeper and draw more unto you, Lord, our king and our father. Jesus' name, amen. You are my God. just voices. for this time, Lord. You are our King, and that truly is, Lord, why we sing and why we do all for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.